it shouldn't be about that practical ongoing stuff. You should really try and focus these conversations on the slightly more deeper stuff around what am I concerned about? These are the these are my priorities. These are the things I really want to get done. And what we find in the research is that when you focus on that slightly more detached level from the day-to-day, the day-to-day starts taking care of itself. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus. I believe it is not okay that in the UK today, if you have children and want to care for them, it really can impact on your chances for getting to your dream roles for career progression. But I do believe this can be changed, especially if a lot of us work together. Now, with this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. Um, Not that they're always enjoyable, um, of course, speaking of my children here rather than yours. You can take the first step today to join a network of like-minded fellows who all are really passionate about their careers but also really love their children. You can join this network of like-minded fellows from all sectors by registering interest today on www.leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest. That's www.leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest. And obviously applications to our fellowship program will open soon again. And if you get to be part of it, you'll get access to a senior leader mentor who's been there, done that in terms of combining ambitious careers with young kids. You'll get access to thought leadership about what does work for parents and career progression. And also, most importantly, space to think in a structured, challenging, but really supportive environment. Now, Jennifer Petrolieri, who I am interviewing today, she's definitely challenging or her thinking is challenging, but in a good way. She's the author of Couples That Work and Associate Professor at INSEED in France. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you will remember her name. I've interviewed her a few months ago and it has been our most popular episode with more than 800 downloads. Now, obviously, Jennifer has done a lot of research about what works for couples at work, as in if two parents have ambitious careers. And I was really curious to interview her about how her and her husband split duties and managed it all during lockdown in France. I also talked to her about what research tell us what dual career couples need to do during times of crisis and and just really practical steps that you can do this week to cope as a couple in a time of change, in a time of insecurity and in a time of increased childcare um, challenges. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Warm welcome again, Jennifer, to the podcast. Lovely to have you here again. It's great to be with you. For those of the listeners who haven't heard your other episode, do you want to just summarise again who you are and who's in your family? I'm Jennifer Petrolieri. I'm a professor at INSEAD. And for the last seven years, I've been researching working couples. And last time we spoke, we spoke about my book, Couples at Work, as well as researching it. I'm a mum of two kids, Pietro, who's 11, and Ariana, who's 10. And my husband is also a professor. So I know the working life, working parents intimately from my own perspective, but also from having studied hundreds of couples across the world. Mm. And tell me, how has lockdown been for you? You're based in France, aren't you? 
Yeah, so fortunately, we're out of lockdown now. We've been out for three or four weeks, which is wonderful. So I would say, you know, up and down, like many families, there were moments, you know, which were lovely to be all together. I think the first few weeks when the novelty was there and, you know, homeschooling has been tough and tempers have frayed at certain points. So, yeah, it's been up and down. It's been up and down. And what does it mean that you're out of lockdown? So are you allowed to have play dates? Are you allowed to use public transport? What does your life look like right now? Oh, yeah, we're back to sleepovers and pizza parties and the whole the whole nine yards. <laughs> wow. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, which there is just light at the end of the tunnel. Thing. Yes. <laughs> okay. So with hindsight, then, what would you do differently if you started a lockdown again, in terms of the, your setup with your partner? on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, it's a good question. And I have to say, probably not a lot. And the reason is we spent quite a lot of time at the beginning figuring out, okay, how is this going to work? We really put in the investment into how are we going to manage the days between the two of us and work and the kids? Now, that doesn't mean it was easy, but I think we really had the approach of, okay, let's just get to a place where this can be good enough And that's all we can hope for. So I think we achieved that fairly well. I think the realization I've had is that, you know, lockdown will be one of the defining moments of our children's childhood. You know, when they're our age, when they're in their 40s, they're sat around the dinner table with their friends, they will talk about, you know, where were you in COVID-19? What was your family doing? And I think at the beginning, I didn't realize what a special moment it was. Now, I don't mean that in a Pollyanna, like everything's wonderful moment, but it's a really moment where memories are made. And I think that's the thing I hadn't really appreciated. Now, of course, some of those memories are stressful, but there are also some great moments as well. And I think if I'd have realized that in advance, I may have approached it slightly differently with the kids. Mm. Can you tell me more? Well, I think... What a lot of couples have done, and I've still been researching couples in this period, and I think the mistake many of us made was to try and maintain business as usual, if I could put it that way. So I've got, I'm going to keep everything going. The kids' schooling needs to keep going as it was before. You know, we're still going to do the piano practice or whatever that was and just keep going, keep going, keep going. On the logic that we'll just keep going and, and try and, and keep everything maintained. The reality is, though, the world has changed enormously. And by acting as if it's business as usual, we're kind of denying the reality that actually it's not business as usual. The world is completely different. And maybe ourselves and our children need quite different things from the, what they need in business as usual, whether that's more practical support, more emotional support, more slack with certain things, more boundaries around other things. I think we really, as parents in particular, need to go back to first principles and think, what are the needs of our children in this time, our emotional and practical needs? And what are the needs of myself and my partner? And try and respond to those needs and build a schedule and a way of working based on those needs, as opposed to basing on the needs of the business as usual, you know, the work as usual, which we're just not in. Mm -hmm. Well, we've just had the announcement yesterday that schools are not going to open properly until September in the UK. Yeah. And obviously, I, th I think a lot of us thought, oh, okay, fine. You know, we can handle this for a few weeks and just keep going, going, going. But now it is going to be not a few weeks, it's going to be a few months. 
And I think at the moment, it's a time for consolidation for many couples who've been working very hard and doing brilliantly in this different period. But it is a moment to sit down and think, actually, what is it that we want for those next few months while this crisis is continuing and while the children are at home for most of the time? I think that's right. And I think, you know, it's a real blow to find that out for many couples. And let's face the reality, there's no guarantee that September is back to school as usual. You know, it might be half weeks. I mean, there's all sorts of solutions being talked about. So I think the first thing that's very important for couples is we don't just set ourselves up by thinking, okay, two, three more months and then we'll be fine. We don't actually know whether we'll be fine in September or not. Now, that's not meaning to be depressive, but it's meaning to be realistic that now is a time we really need to take stock and think about, okay, how are we going to manage this the best we can in a situation that who knows how long this is going to go on for, really? We just don't know at the moment. And I think it creates an opportunity for parents to really do a reset and think about, What do our children really need? And of course, it's very dependent on the age of our children. You know, if our children are approaching some critical exams like the GCSEs or the A-levels, they've got to keep that work going. It's very clear. If our children are on the younger end, you know, we know talking to educators that actually if they read books during the day and do a few maths problems, they are going to be fine. It doesn't, you know, we we mustn't kill ourselves to try and get all, all that homework done. So I think... It's very dependent on age. It's dependent on the kind of emotional tenor of our children. Are they children who need really that tight structure to get them through the day? Or are they children we can be a bit more loose on? So it's an ideal time to really rethink how can we best support their needs and ours going forward. Mm. What I remember most about your book, Couples at Work, is that research is very clear that the couples, no matter what arrangement they have, the couples that are happiest are those that talk a lot. I'm probably simplifying this, but that is the message I walked away with from this book. So how can we, in a crisis, when most of us don't have childcare, find the talk, uh, the time to talk? Yeah. So I think it's not just that talk much, it's about what they talked about. There are plenty of couples out there who talk all the time and say not a lot to each other. So I think it's about finding pockets of time to have really deliberate conversations about, and especially at the moment, it's really about three things. The first is what are the things we're concerned about? What are the things we need to pay most attention to? The second are what are our priorities as a family and as individuals? And the third is then on the more practical end, how can we respond to those priorities and deal with those concerns? And I think the mistake most couples make is to think, my goodness, this is a huge conversation. You know, we need three hours to sort this out. We need to walk along a beach at sunset. That just is not true. All you need are small pockets of time at the end of the day when the kids are in bed, five, 10, 15 minutes to sit down with no distractions, no telephones, no TV on, and really start thinking through some of these issues. So this is the kind of cup of tea or glass of wine before bed at the end of the day conversation, where instead of just talking, oh, how was your day? You're talking in a more deliberate way around, okay, what have we got going on? How can we make sure everyone's supported? And how can we fix that? And what I'm finding in this period 
is the couples who are getting through this in the best way. And let me say, of course, everyone is struggling in their own way. I don't think we should put any couples on a pedestal. Oh, they're, they're fine. There's no such thing as fine at the moment. But the couples who are wrestling through this in a good way are those who are actually doing that very regularly. And it's not that they're talking for hours at a time. They're really taking these pockets of 10, 15 minutes. But every day, every couple of days, just that brief little check-in around what do we need to be focusing on? How can we better support each other? What do the children do? It goes a long way. And I would say to most couples, you know, even in a crisis, if you can't afford 10 minutes at the end of the day, then that's probably an indication that something else is is up in your couple. Mm, I think that is so interesting. And I read quite a few books about habits recently, just by coincidence. Not that I had lots of time to read books, but I'm, <laughs> so you say, what I mean by reading books, I mean, I read the first 10 pages, but still you get a lot from the first 10 pages. And what is very interesting is that habits are created when you link them to existing things that are happening in your life. So exactly. if you are drinking a cup of tea at the end of the day, making that a ritual, and rather than having a pressure of planning that three-hour stroll, actually having that ritual at the end of the day to have that conversation with the usual cup of tea that you you have is very powerful. I think that's right. And I also think if you have older children, they can be part of it. So, you know, our children are a bit older, 10 and 11, and we've developed a ritual that at the end of the evening meal, we all go round and say, you know, what happened in the day? What's coming up? How do we need to change things? Is there anything that any of us need from the rest of us? And I think sometimes people can tiptoe around their children, but I would say if your children are older than seven or eight, there's no reason why you wouldn't bring them into some of these conversations. Obviously, some of them are adult-only conversations, but I think it's also role modeling a really good way of managing a family in front of your children as well. Mm. Mm, absolutely. It is quite interesting. I think I mentioned this to you before. We do a workshop, which obviously now is an online webinar as part of the fellowship program mm-hmm. for couples. So our fellows bring along their partners. Yeah. And obviously most of our fellows are uh, have, have very young children, but we recently started with a group of fellows with primary school children. And okay. one of them yeah, mentioned exactly that. It becomes incredibly powerful when you give the children the agency to contribute to those conversations rather than just, you know, we all like autonomy and actually being part of a family and having that autonomy is incredibly valuable. I agree. And I think, you know, why wouldn't you give your children a voice? (laughs) Mm. Is there anything else that you have noticed about couple dynamics during this time? Anything that you find works when having conversation during pressurized times or during high stress times? Well, I think what's happening at this time is the crisis is amplifying the dynamics in a couple. So it's not really that the the crisis is causing issues. It's revealing issues that were already there. So if you think back three, four months, you know, you're out of the house at work, seven, eight hours a day, then you're running around taking the kids to activities, you're seeing your friends, whatever it is. It's very easy to sweep issues under the carpet, right? And, And ignore them because your busy life. And what's happened when we're confined at home is it really amplifies those issues. And it also amplifies, obviously, the good aspects of relationships. And suddenly there's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide, And what that can do is sort of the two sides of the coin. On one side, you know, it can be extremely stressful 
to recognize this stuff and also realize, my goodness, the kids are at home and we need to homeschool and do all of these things at once. At the same time, it's a great opportunity for tackling them. And I think most couples have some little issues they sweep under the carpet. This is normal. It's not a sign that your couple is off the rails. The sign that your couple is a good couple, though, is not whether whether or not you have these issues. It's whether or not you tackle them. And I think what the crisis is really showing is those couples who are willing to put in the investment to talk about these things and try and work them through. And those couples who aren't, and those couples who aren't are then coming to me and saying, you know, I mean, maybe I picked the wrong person. You know, maybe this is a, you know, maybe we weren't really meant to be together. When people say that to me, I say, okay, that could be true. But it could also be that, you know, these dynamics are amplified and you're just not putting the investment in to work on them. So I think the couples who do well are the couples who are just, you know, it's very straightforward, just naming what's on their mind. I'm worried about this. I'm annoyed about this. I'm frustrated because of this. Now, obviously, you can't do that all the time. And that's why, as you said, having a time that's a ritual to raise these things is really great because you also need some fun couple time, you need some alone time, you need some time with the kids and all the rest of it. But I think having a ritual where these things can be named and a space where you can bring issues to the table is the most important thing we can do right now. And also being a little bit kind to ourselves, you know, nothing is going to go perfectly right now and that's okay. Mm. Having these conversations is tough and they're not always enjoyable, let's be honest. So is there anything from the research that we should know to be motivated to have that cup of tea or even that we can tell our partners so that they are motivated to have that regular cup of tea and deep conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest motivating factor is if you don't have them, you are almost certainly on the path to breakup. And I think most couples do not want that. So I think that's the stick, if you like. The carrot is... They don't have to be that difficult. I think they're difficult when people place a lot of emotional energy into them. And the way to get out of that is that these conversations should not be about, well, today you left the dishes in the dishwasher and I asked you to unpack them. It shouldn't be about that practical ongoing stuff. You should really try and focus these conversations on the slightly more deeper stuff around what am I concerned about? These are my priorities. These are the things I really want to get done. And what we find in the research is that when you focus on that slightly more detached level from the day-to-day, the day-to-day starts taking care of itself. So let me give you an example. If we're a couple, and I know this week that you have something big on at work you need to achieve, right? A project to be delivered. And if I know that's important to you, I'm much more likely to be mindful around the house, right? And just step up that little bit more and be thinking around those practical things, not because you've nagged me about the dishwasher, but because I'm really aware that this is an important week for you at work. And we see this happening all the time. If couples understand the why, why do I need that support? Why is this important to you? we naturally step up because most couples, they love each other, right? When we love someone, we want to support them. I think when that support breaks down is when we don't really understand what it is we're supporting. And one of the biggest findings of my research is that most couples didn't fail because there was a lack of support. They failed because partners didn't really understand why or what kind of support was needed. 
So it's really important we get away from those day-to-day little conflicts around, you didn't buy the milk, uh, you know, I thought you were going to get takeout tonight, whatever it is, down to, you know, what's important to me? Why do I need that support? And what is the support I need? And then it kind of just takes the heat out of those conversations. And it really leads to that level of support we all need. Mm. My mind is going to how we can take that learning to the design of our uh, couple session but that's probably another <laughs> other conversation but basically so w- what we're doing at the moment is we get people to really we push them to share their mm-hmm. long-term vision what they yeah. want to do what you know what is it that they really care about uh, your values I could yeah. I, I guess you could say and then get them to just share what makes them feel supported but I think there's something more about the why of the day-to-day you know w- why does it matter that I have an hour a day to myself? How does that link to my exactly. term aim of being able to, I don't know, job hunt to find a new job or whatever it is that you want to work on? And I think, you know, when it comes down to it, we've, we need to separate out priorities from aspirations. So let me talk about the difference. I mean, priorities are, I've got to get the, you know, I've got to get the kids homeschooling done. And then I've got this project to need to finish for work and other thing. This is day-to-day stuff. This is important. It's not make or break. The make or break stuff is really the aspirations, which is, you know, what are you passionate about? What are the things that you're going to measure your life against? And what we find in the long term is that our happiness or unhappiness, our kind of stress versus non-stress is all about how does what you're doing measure up to your aspirations. It's not about how it measures up to your priorities. And this is not just about work, it's another domain. So let's say, for example, I love playing the piano. And it's very easy for me not to play the piano because I have X, Y, Z, A, B, C on. But then I start to feel like I'm losing my creativity. I'm not very happy, blah, blah, blah. So this aspect of playing the piano, which seems small, is it's like, oh, it doesn't matter if you didn't get time to play the piano today, you can play tomorrow. But actually, it's one of the things that makes me feel like me, right? It's an identity thing. And sort of me understanding that and my partner understanding that is really important because that's where a lot of my satisfaction and happiness comes from. And we all have things like that, right? Whether it's you have a hobby of writing or you have a certain community, you, you know, a church community or whatever that you contribute to. It's those aspirational things. And of course, those aspirational things can be career focused as well. That's the level we really need to get to in our couples. Hmm. Okay. So turning this into a simple action point for myself and others, it is communicating to each other what your aspirations are and then taking that into practical support needs. Exactly. Great. Great. My partner will be looking forward to chatting to me after <laughs> this conversation. And I, and I also think and I also think if you look at it at that level, who doesn't want to talk about their aspirations, right? These are things we care about, we're passionate about. And it's often things that make us attracted to our partners. If you think about when you fell in love with your partner, it's often because you know, they had something that they were passionate about and you saw this spark in them and we're attracted to that spark. And so talking about this stuff is also really invigorating for our couples because when we see our partners come alive in this stuff, that's when we're like, oh, I fancy you still, <laughs> which is mm, what, that is you know, which is where all couples thrive from. Mm, that is very true. 
the word hope really comes to me in this conversation because in order for all this to happen while you're juggling a job and kids and don't have much time and aren't allowed to go and see your family in order for this to happen you have to have hope that you can get to a place where you can find time to do these things um i've been through a bit of a learning journey myself about you know this whole idea saying i don't have time but usually i can find 10 minutes and we really need to come away from this idea right we need to have two hours to do x and z this morning i went for 15 well actually for a 10 minute run and a very slow one mind but i did go for a 10 minute run because that is what makes me feel alive what makes me feel i'm starting the day well and my partner always helps me prioritize that even if it is just a 10 minutes and that's surprisingly enough to make me feel I've had my share yeah it doesn't have to be long hours yeah and I think for me it's about realistic hope I think some of the problems we've been facing in recent years has been because, you know, we're presented this stuff in the media that, you know, to have a balanced life, you should. And then this laundry list of things, you know, you should exercise an hour a day, you should, uh, I mean, this is impossible. And I think it's like you're saying, you know, this is not a three hour conversation. This is pockets of 10, 15 minutes. And I think that hope is very realistic and very achievable. Mm. And just being kind to ourselves, because as you say, if you add it, right, NHS guidelines is probably doing about 30 minutes of exercise a day. Don't quote me on this. Then plus, I, you know, all the meditation gurus say you should do 30 minutes, ideally. That's already an hour. Then you should do a particular type of play with your children. And, you know, it does add up. So it's giving ourselves permission yeah. to not spend loads of time on all these things. And just being kind to ourselves is so important. Exactly. I totally agree. Let's talk about your online course. I have seen on LinkedIn that you've done an online course for couples during the coronavirus period. What have you learned from that? A lot. It's been really fun, actually, and it's a free resource. So if anyone wants to do it, they can they can check it out on my website. Well, my aim was really to give couples a very, very practical guide through, okay, these are the challenges you're going to face. And this is why they're challenging. So a little bit of the psychology underneath it. And this is what you can do about it practically. So each episode is a three to four minute video. And then there's a worksheet. So you can discuss it with your partner and kind of work through some really practical solutions. And it's been hugely well received for a couple of reasons, I think. One is it's bite-sized chunks, right? It's back to this 10 minutes. You know, you can watch a three or four minute video and then discuss for seven or eight minutes and you're done and you've tackled a topic. And I think the second is to really normalize that we're all in this together and we're all struggling with these things, but there are some really practical things we can do to help out. So as an example, one of the episodes is on boundaries, thinking about how we can maintain physical and time boundaries in our houses, right? What is the space we're going to work at that we can leave work in? So then we're in the rest of the house, we're in family mode. What are the times of the day we're going to work? These kind of things are so important actually for our mental health and well-being during this period, as well as managing with our kids and family. And it's a very practical episode on what are the boundaries you need to think about? How do you carve them up? How do you agree them? Again, if your kids are old enough, how do you agree with them with your kids? I think one of the dangers with COVID is we can look at it and feel quite helpless. You know, what on earth can we do? We don't know whether we're going to catch the disease. We're in the hands of the government. Who knows when they're going to end the lockdown? Who knows when not? And it can feel like we have very little control. 
And what I'm trying to do in the survival series is give control back to couples and say, okay, of course, there are things out of your control, but there's actually quite a lot of things. If you put your mind to it and a little bit of investment, you can really make a difference in. Mm, mm, That's excellent. And what is your website exactly where people can find this? It's very hard to spell. So you might want to put it on the show notes, but it's J Petrilieri, so J P E T R I G L I E R I dot com. Perfect, excellent. Um, I want to talk about fathers. Yeah. The reason why is because just yesterday I chaired a roundtable discussion of HR leaders about how we can emerge positively as organisations from this lockdown and make sure that the impact on gender equality isn't bad. Because let's face it. At the moment, there are a lot of things that are having a negative impact on the gender equality. Yeah. We've done a survey with our community and found that, as you would expect, unfortunately, a lot of the 70% of our female respondents said that they were doing the majority of the childcare, even though they were still employed. Yeah, We also have about 65% of the women who responded saying that their male partners, employers, expected them to not do a lot of the housework so basically the women said yeah. that the the employers of the dads assumed that they didn't have to do any housework or childcare, yeah. which obviously puts that in a really difficult position because and i do find this that you know the expectation quite often is for women to do the childcare, which then means one the dads don't get the joy of doing the childcare, but also yeah. it's harder for dads sometimes to influence their employers that actually no, between 2 and 5 p.m they do have to take the kids out to the park yeah so what's your view on on convincing employers that actually fathers do have a right and a duty to do housework and childcare during this COVID period and afterwards for that matter? Yeah. So first of all, this is a big issue right now. And I think it's really important you point out the nuance because this is not about dads not wanting to step up in many cases. This is about societal expectations and expectations of employees that are putting pressure on couples that are very, very hard to manage. So I think it's important we don't demonize the dads because there are many great dads out there who are really trying their best in incredibly difficult situations. And as you say, a lot of the pressure is coming from the employees who just do not think about this. And this is something I've written about in the past and something I work with organizations on. But so, I'm sorry, do, do you mean from the employers? Yeah, sorry, sorry, from the employers, yeah. And it's something I work with organizations on. And I think there's two things going on here. One is a generational divide. So if we look at the statistics in the UK, for example, roughly 70% of couples are working couples. But of course, that varies across the generations. If we look at the younger generation, that's close to 90%. If we look at the older generations, that's less. And of course, the senior managers tend to be from the older generation. So there's there's a gap in understanding that it's very important we fill within the leadership communities of organizations. It's not just a gap around, a moral gap around men and women should both step up equally, but it's a gap in understanding what does that take. So if you're a senior guy who had a stay-at-home wife when your children were younger and you never had to take the kids to the park or change the nappies or do homework, it's very hard for you to understand what does that mean, right? What does that commitment take? How much time does that take? What mental strain does that take? So there's this real gap in just understanding. It's hard for me to get it if I haven't lived it. And that gap, the best way to plug that gap 
is really through communication. Things like reverse mentoring works extremely well. Oftentimes, we see there's a wonderful study out that's looked at senior men and how their views change when their children have children, right? And they see through their own eyes, my goodness, what this takes to do. So this reverse mentoring, this communication is really, really important. And then I think it takes an active change in the hearts and minds of each individual manager around challenging their biases. Because even those of us, I was talking to a a women's forum the other day, and one of the women said, you know, I'm very conscious about the women in my group and checking in with them. And I said, what about the men? And so I think a lot of us do this unthinkingly. We think about the women having issues managing work-life balance, and we don't think about the men. And by doing that, we're sending this signal, oh, guys, you you should just dedicate yourself to work. So it really comes back to these biases and these kind of norms of expectation. So it's really important we keep putting this on the table and raising it. But I think there's a lot individual couples can do to raise this, particularly if they're managing others. But even if they're not in their meetings, to make sure that they voice to a certain extent what's going on in their household, how their needs have changed, how the working hours they can do have changed. And I think very often managers are receptive to this. They just don't understand it. And when they know, they will try and adjust. But the lack is often in understanding as opposed to an empathy lack. Yeah, I would agree. I agree. Very interesting. Yeah, Out of 50 fellows, we have two men, which I'm extremely happy about. And, you know, at the beginning when I started social enterprise, everyone, not everyone, but lots of senior women told me, just focus on women, leaders with babies and young children. And I was adamant that it had to be for men only. And it has taken me three years to get men to apply who fitted the bill. Yeah. But it's absolutely essential for this conversation to include men because one, they have rights. They're like, it is wonderful to spend time with children sometimes. Yeah. And actually that, so that those moments of joy should be accessible to everyone regardless of their gender. And also the more I talk to men and fathers, I realize that the challenges they face, if they want to break the norm, are as big as any woman who's applying for flexible working or something of that sort. So. Evidence would show from research, it's actually they face bigger challenges. And the reason is this, Runa, is that it's become more and more acceptable that women are ambitious in the workplace. It's unusual now that we'd say, oh, she's ambitious. You know, it's very accepted that women and men are both ambitious. It's absolutely not accepted that men are ambitious in the home space. And so what we see, for example, let's take flexible working policies, is men who take advantage of them are very punished in their organizations. They're passed over for promotion. They don't get the pay rises, et cetera, at a much higher rate than women. And so actually what we're seeing is those working fathers who are really committed to play an active role in the family are the people who are most prejudiced against within organizations today. It's much harder than for some of the junior women. Mm, Interesting. And is there a particular paper or book that speaks to that? Oh, there's a lot. I can forward them. There's lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's a very well-researched topic that the, the stigmatization of men who try and have these policies, which look female, the kind of mummy track policies is much stronger than for women. Mm, mm, Yeah, absolutely. 
Great. I think this brings us towards the end of our podcast. And I would like to finish us off with two or three practical things that a couple who's just learned that schools are going to stay closed or that they can't access childcare as they planned, two or three practical things that such a couple can do this week in order to make an intentional choice about how they're working together as a couple. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is take 10 minutes at the end tonight to sit down and think, given that schools are not reopening and we may not have childcare, what are the needs of our children, emotional and practical? It's probably different for if you have multiple children, it might be different for different children. And that should be the driver of anything practical you decide. So I think that's the most important thing to really sit back and think, what do our children need from us in the next six month period? Let's take a six month period on the emotional practical level. The second thing tomorrow night (laughs) to do (laughs) is to sit down and say, you know, given that we are full-time working and full-time parenting in or whatever, what are our needs, the parents' needs? And once you have that almost a grid, if you like, of, you know, the children's needs, how many children you have are our needs, that should really form the foundation of any decisions you make, any structures you put in place, any support you might get from, you know, friends, grandparents, these sorts of things. Because the reality is, I'm sure quite soon in the UK, you'd be able to see people inside their homes and things like that. So there will be other kinds of support open. So these should really base everything. And then I think, The third thing is really to sit down quite rationally and plan out, okay, practically, how can we make this work? And not fool yourselves that this may only just be for three months because it could be for longer. And I think we need to be psychologically prepared for that. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you for that. If people want to find out more about your work, aside from your website, where else can they follow you or engage with your work? They can follow me on LinkedIn. And my book is available on Amazon and all good bookstores. So yeah, plenty of places to engage. And your book is called again? Couples That Work. Perfect. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Lovely to talk to you again. Thank you, Verena. Thank you for listening today. If you are looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious people who are also parents and who love their children as much as they love their careers, of course, and who are from all sectors, who are quite different, quite diverse, but want to support each other, then do register interest right now on www.leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest. That will make sure that you get access to practical tips through our newsletter and also you will get information when the fellowship program opens, which hopefully should be very soon. So I also would love your help with something. I want to spread this message that it is okay to love your ambitious career and love your children at the same time and that no one should have to choose. And I would love it if you can help me reach a thousand listeners by September. So if you're wondering how to do this practically, you can take a moment to share it with five of your friends right now. Um, Also, do leave a review online and most importantly, press the subscribe button on whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast. And of course, with any podcast, five-star reviews really help the visibility. And plus, on a personal level, it just makes me really happy to read them. So thank you in advance. Until next time, have a wonderful week.